this week's parasha is Parashas Teldes, and the parasha and its climax deals with the taking of the brachas that were supposed to go to Esav, and Rivka and Yaakov colluding to take away uh, Esav's brachas and make Yitzchak believe that Yaakov is in fact Esav. And, and they're able to pull this off. Somehow Yaakov is, Yitzchak is fooled and he believes that it's Esav, even though it's of course Yaakov, even though there were certain um, telltale signs that indicated that it was Yaakov and the Beis Alevi and others discuss all of the reasons how Yaakov could, Yitzchak could have been fooled um, with all of these uh, different simonim. But at the end of the day, the brachas went to Yaakov. And the Pasuk says, When Yitzchak finished benching Yaakov, when he gave these very powerful brachas to Yaakov, Yaakov Avinu just slipped out the door. The Esav Achiv Bamitzidai. And as soon as Yaakov exits the door, on one side, let's say, Esav comes in on the other side, just in the nick of time, Yaakov is able to escape, to make off with the brachas just in time. Sort of like if you would, uh, you know, if it would be a, a play on Broadway, you would have, it would be a very dramatic moment that as soon as one actor leaves the stage, stage right, in comes uh, the other actor on stage left. This is the way that the scene plays out in the exciting drama of this parasha. Now remember, if let's say Asa would have walked in a second earlier and would have understood what was going on and seen the roost taking place before his eyes, it's very plausible that Asa would have killed Yaakov. Asa was a hunter. Asa was not in the mood for this. He just came back from hunting and he wanted to bring his father to the meal, he wanted to get benched, he sees that his brother, who there was no love loss between them to begin with, chaps the brachas, that might have been the end of Yaakov and the end of all of us. So by seconds, by seconds, Yaakov was able to get what he needed, slip out the door on one side, and then in comes Esau from the other side, and the rest is history. This is not what the Shmuz is about, but I can't physically pass by this Pasuk without mentioning a Kutzker. The Kutzker is one of the most important Yisaitis, I think, that we could take the Chlal and from this parasha Befrat. And he says something very interesting. He says that when the way it works in this world is that there is Kaychus of Kedusha and there is Kaychus of Tumah. And when Kedusha leaves, when there's a vacuum of Kedusha, then Toma immediately jumps in and fills that void, fills that vacuum. That's the way it works. So, when Yitzchak finishes blessing Yaakov, Yaakov leaves the room, Yaakov is Kedusha, 
as soon as Kedusha leaves the room and there's a vacuum of Kedusha, then what happens is that what? Esav ba mitzidai. Esav is able to slip into the room. Where is this Negea to us? When do we find this most acutely? That there is, when there is a, an absence of Kedusha, when there was Kedusha, and then Kedusha leaves, and then all of a sudden there is a, the, the Tumah fills up that space, so we find this on Matzai Shabbos. Matzai Shabbos is a time that there's a vacuum of Kedusha. After all, Shabbos Kedush filled the entire world, the Kedusha Shabbos, and, and then it leaves. You make Habdallah and it goes away. And guess what happens when all of that Kedusha leaves? There is an inordinate amount of Tumah that enters the airspace. And this is what my Rebbe used to say in ninth grade. I remember he used to say that the reason why on Matzai Shabbos the entire world goes crazy with Tumah, people go and they, they party and they go here and they go to the movies and they go to this place and that place. Where, where does everyone get that Yitzhahar all of a sudden on Matzai Shabbos to do you know, things that they might not ordinarily do? Because Shabbos left. There is a Kedusha of Shabbos. Once there's a, no more Kedusha, the Yitzhahara, the Sitchakra, fills the world. And let's say Shabbos is a time you have to be very, very careful to be on guard because there is always that Yitzhahara to, to do something perhaps that we wouldn't normally do. We get a, you know, a fever to do something that's, uh, that, that's, that's And so let's say Shabbos is a time, maybe let's say Yantiv as well, Whenever there is a, uh, the Kedusha leaves, Ayhi, Ach Yatza Yatza Yaakov, Yaakov leaves the world, Esav Bamitzidai. Esav enters right away with a, um, with, with tremendous passion, with tremendous fight to get us to do Tumadika things. Very, very important, you say, to remember every Matzai Shabbos. That's why it's so important to be Isaac in Malav Mamalka and to learn in the base Medrash, and to, uh, and to do things that are appropriate. I had a, a, a different rabbi of mine used to tell me, used to tell the shir, that if you want to remember me, I, I never forget this, he was actually, his nifter very young, so maybe it's extra important to remember, but he said, if you want to remember me, he says, every Matzai Shabbos, do not get into Big Day Chayl. Go to sleep by, by the time you change, when you're going, when you're changing into your, into your sleeping wear, you should be taking off your Shabbos suit. Don't sometimes, let's say Shabbos, everybody, you know, you got, you take, you hang up your Shabbos suit and right away you put on your regular weekday clothing. There's nothing halakhically wrong with that, but there is in terms of keeping the Kedusha of Shabbos going, it sort of can give us a, a Yetzirah to do things that are inappropriate, to go places, to watch things, to, and, and so, if a person keeps his big day Shabbos on, it will inspire him maybe to keep a little bit of the Shabbosika mentality in his, in his life, to have Malava Malka, to learn, to, to daven, to do good stuff. And, but if you dress up, all of a sudden you go and, you know, you put your, your regular pants on, you put a sweatshirt on, now you're, you know, you're all dressed up and nowhere to go, and now you're gonna find some place to go. And, and that's a, uh, that's a very, very, uh, big danger every time that there is a lack of Kedusha in the world. The loss of Kedusha brings, uh, a, a, a void and nature of horror is a vacuum and so Kedusha 
the tumma rather will will permeate that makim of kedusha. What we take from this scene of Yaakov leaving and the second after Yaakov leaves, Yatsa Yatsa, the Pasuk is, is very much stressing that there were seconds over here. It was just as soon as he leaves, Esav comes in. I think that the lesson that we could take from this Pasuk is how HaKadosh Baruch Hu choreographs everything in our life. We think that everything is random. We're walking here, we're walking there. We're bending down the tire shoelace, and we get caught up. So the phone rings. Somebody, you know, all of a sudden is keeping us on. The, we think that things are just very random. But we have to understand that hashdacha pratius means hashdacha pratius to the to the second. Every little thing that happens to us in our life means that Akedat was choreographing it that it should happen in just such a way. This is in fact the bracha that we make every morning by Shachris. One of the birches of Shachar is HaMechen Mitzadei Gaver. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Mechen Mitzadei Gaver. He prepares the footsteps of man. What does that mean he prepares the footsteps of man? What that means is that every single step of our journey of life was preordinated, preordained by the Rabbeinu Shalom. It was preordained by the Rabbeinu Shalom. That means nothing happens in our life that wasn't with Hashkachas Hashem Aleinu. Sometimes I remember when I, uh, when I actually spoke, I was honored by the Arachayim dinner a couple of years ago, to be six years ago. And I, I didn't want to be honored at all. I hate, you know, the whole notion of uh, the covet and then having people come for you. It wasn't something that I was talking about. My father was very ill at the time. And I wanted to give him a little nacha, so I agreed very reluctantly to take the covet. I took the covet and, and, you know, whatever. But, um, so I spoke at that dinner. And the gist of what my speech was, was this bracha. And I was describing how, when I was, I learned in high school in a very large, prestigious yeshiva called Long Beach and then after that, I went to Kaltair of Shlomazaman's yeshiva, also a very big yeshiva. And I didn't know when I had to come back to America where I should go. And I didn't really want to go to another very big yeshiva. I, was, I needed like a little bit more of a, you know, a warm environment. And I don't know, somebody told me, I think even on the airplane on the way back to Eretz Yisrael, somebody mentioned to me that there was a yeshiva in Queens, Arachayim, and uh, all right, it sounded uh, sounded like something I, I might be interested in looking into. And I went there, and it was a uh, it was a house. So today, Arachaim is a very large yeshiva on the other side of Main Street, and you know, beautiful big building with the Jerusalem stone. And, and then it was literally a one family attached row house on that spot where it stands today. And I went there. It was like Mamashu was like a living room. That was the base medrash. And the basement of this building was the dining room, and the upstairs was a dormitory. And it was like not what I had in mind. But for some reason, I uh, I, I liked Rabbi Lander, and I, I, I just I said, "Okay, fine, let's do this." And Baruch Hashem, I, it was a very good experience for me. I, I, I learned well for two years there. I, I did my college, and um, 
And then, you know, and I kept up the relationship with my Rebbeim. I was very close to them. I went to the dinner every year. And then um, years later, maybe uh, 10, 11 years after I left the yeshiva, I was a 12th grade Rebbe in a yeshiva in, uh, in, in, in Flappish called Kamenetz. And, uh, and I, I was having a great time there. It was a very, very nice yeshiva, great boys. And one day I got a call from Rabbi Lander um, that this yeshiva was just uh, started. It was, in its, its, it was in, in its second year. And it got off to a, uh, a, a somewhat rocky start, to put it mildly. Um, it, was, uh, it was not so pushed, you know, what was going on here. And they needed a mashkiach to whip this place into shape a little bit. So um, now, of course, you don't. But now, then we did. And, um, and so Rabbi Lander called me and, and asked me if, uh, you know, if I would like to consider taking the position. And, you know, whatever, whatever my cheshbenes were, in the end... I decided to do it, and, and Baruch Hashem, you know, I don't regret it for, for a minute. But at the dinner I spoke, and I was basically describing this trajectory, and how, how it was very odd that I would go to such a yeshiva. People were surprised, like you're going, you know, you were in, in this yeshiva, that yeshiva, and then you go to such a small, you know, just an upstart yeshiva that really has no, you know, major reputation, and it wasn't a world-renowned, it seemed like a funny step on the journey of my life. Wasn't the, the natural step would be to go to who knows where, and I didn't understand it myself. But years later, as Ashkafa would have it, the reason why I'm here is because of that decision that I made at the time, and that's really the bracha v'amechem etzadig over. Hakadosh Baruch already, you know, twenty years before. 15, 20, whatever it was, already understood that this was something that he wanted me to do, maybe. Or at least that's what I like to believe. And, and um, you know, and because of that, he arranged, that I should meet somebody on an airplane, and that person should start telling me about Arachayim, and, and, you know, and I should go there and like it, and find pain in it, and they found pain in me, and they accepted me. And, I, and from that, you know, my entire life took a, a different turn. But that's the way the Rabbani Shalom runs the world. He runs the world every second. Whatever we do, there are very direct ramifications and ripple effects that Akhirish knows about. We don't understand it. We don't even understand sometimes, why did I go in, you know, in, in, you know, on this street instead of on that street? I, was, I could have gone in, you know, in this direction, I chose that direction. And you don't know. But the Rabbi Shalom put it into your mind to go down this street. Maybe if you would have gone down the other street, you would have seen something inappropriate. Maybe you would have bumped into somebody and that person would have said something, you know, that hurt you. You don't know. We don't know. But at the end of the day, this is something that's part of our amuna. that there's something called Hashgacha Pratis, and every second of our day, it's a scary concept, but every single second, HaKadosh Baruch Hu arranges that we are in a certain spot, in order to do something for us. He, he left a second later, it would have been different. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu arranges every footstep of man just so, so that we should be able to be in the right place at the right time. So many times you get stuck in a traffic jam and you're upset about it, 
You don't know if, let's say, you would have made it. Let's say, let's say there wouldn't be traffic and the and the cars would be flying, and you know, tra- maybe we would have gotten into a terrible accident. Maybe the traffic stopped us from getting out of a car at a certain time and getting hit by something. So many times, you know, people. There's all these stories about people that go and they, uh, you know, they're trying to get to the airport and they miss their flight. And because of that, they're, you know, the plane crashes and, and they were saved. There's a great story with Rabbi Reisman, who is a, a very famous Magid Shir in, in uh, Rosh Hashiva and Rav in, um, in Flatbush. He gives the largest, probably the largest Shir in America today. Um, I'm not talking about the Shir in his Yeshiva, but every Matzai Shabbos in the winter, he gives a... Um, he gives a Navi Shir for many years, I don't know, maybe 30 years now. And you would think, Navi, Matzai, Shabbos, probably can't get a minion. But he started off very small. I think there was like a mishmar going on in a, in a certain yeshiva, and maybe Tarvadas. And so the parent and fathers were delivering the boys to the mishmar. He says, oh, you know what, maybe let the, parent, let the fathers park the car, and, and I'll give a Shir to them while the boys are learning their mishmar, Matzai, Shabbos. And the shear started growing. And they started off in a small room, then it got bigger, bigger, bigger. And today, it's in a huge base medrash in, uh, in the heart of Flatbush, very big. And every Matzai Shabbos during the winter, when Shabbosim are early, he packs a crowd, like, you know, from the rafters. The Azur Snashim is full, the men's section is full, there's a video in the basement of this building. I mean, I don't know how many people come, but I think it's well over a thousand people on Matzai Shabbos. Talk about, you know, spreading Kedusha on Matzai Shabbos. What a great alternative to what people would ordinarily do on a Matzai Shabbos, to be able to have people come and, as an exciting activity, go hear a shear. It's a very, very wonderful thing. But there is a... Um, so Rabbi Reisman once had a, a Misa that happened to him that... A, um, a Balabas in his shul, he has a very nice shul in Flatbush as well, and a Balabas came and he looked very upset by davening. So Rabbi Reisman, after davening, calls him over and says to him, is everything okay? He says, not really. He says, a, uh, I, I was supposed to catch a plane this morning, early this morning to Chicago. I had a business meeting, very important meeting, and I got stuck in traffic. It was killer traffic. The whole Van Wyck was backed up, and uh, you know I missed my plane, and I, I can't make, I couldn't get another flight out, and I, uh, the, the, the meeting was had to be postponed. Now I'm very upset. So Reisman said to him, "Let me ask you a question." He's very practical, Rabbi Reisman. Very, that's why people like him. He has a great sense of humor. He's very wise. He's very practical. He's very on the ball. He says, "Let me ask you a question. If a person, let's say you would drive home from shul now." And you would hear on the radio that the plane that you were supposed to be on crashed and 250 people died. What would your reaction be? So he says, this Shabbos, he says, I'd make the biggest kiddush that this shul has ever seen. And I'd be so happy. I mean, my life was spared. It would be a nice nigla. So by Reisman, you know, tongue-in-cheek, of course, he says to him, you Russia. He says, do 250 innocent men, women, and children have to die in order for you to see Ashkafas Hashem? Why, do, why does it always have to have the happy end, or you know, the, the ending that you get to see why there is Hashkafah? If we have a moon, we have to believe 
that even if we don't know that the plane, the plane Baruch Hashem landed safely and it still wasn't good for me to be on that flight. For a hundred different reasons, for a thousand different reasons, the Rabbeinu Shalom has our back. He cares about us. He's worried about us. He wants us to be, be taken care of. And sometimes in order to make sure that we're taken care of, he has to do things to stop us from, from ourselves. So he makes our shoelaces untie, so we have to bend down and, and tie our shoelace, and those seconds meant the difference between you know, having a regular day and having a, a horrible day. And he makes traffic, and he creates all types of diversions that we don't get into trouble. We look at them as nuisances. We call them, I had a horrible day. Because this happened to me, that happened today. You know, it, was, it was a day I wish I hadn't gotten out of bed this morning because everything wrong happened. I had coffee spill on my shirt, and this happened. You know, we don't understand how every single thing that Akash Baruch Hu does is by design to the second. It's not haphazard. Akash Baruch Hu is meticulous. Akash Baruch Hu has everything exact, and because of that, we have to be makirtai to the Rabbeinu Shalom and understand how everything is precisely so. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is so exact with everything that he does, and I gave a shir, I gave this shir, I always give a, 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 a dry run of this shmuz on Wednesday night by the alumni shir. And there happens to be an old Yakish yid that comes to, that comes to the shir, and uh, he's in his 80s and very close with him. He actually is a person that was born in Würzburg, which is where my family is from. My, my uh, great-great-grandfather was the Würzburger Rav. He was uh, one of the G'dayle Adar in Germany, in the city of Würzburg. So my great-grandfather was in the Sada Kedushin by his parents' wedding. And my, uh, you know, and my grandfather, was, uh, it was like many generations of Bambergers and, these, and this family who Baruch Hashem their son learned here in Yeshiva their son-in-law learned here in Yeshiva so we're, we're keeping the tradition going but he said it sounds like what, from what you're saying that the Rabbi Hashem is a yekes you know, yekes are very precise and very they, they keep everything with precision time and I said that's a thousand percent true the Rabbi Hashem is absolutely yekes the Rabbi Hashem everything he's masader everything just so there is nothing haphazard. He's not sloppy in, in any which way. Every one of the galaxies, every one of the every blade of grass, every tree, every bird, every cow, every atom is misudder perfectly. Nothing goes haphazard in Akhadish Baruch's world. If it does, then he designed that as well. But everything is perfect. Everything is his ruts and everything is perfect. It's so perfect, in fact, that Bilaam tried to capitalize on the perfection and the synchronization of the Rabbeinu Shalom. There's a well-known Gemara in Brachas and Avzayinam and Aleph. And the Gemara says that the Rabbeinu Shalom says to Klai Yisrael, you should know that I did you a tremendous favor during the time of Bilaam. You don't understand, you don't understand how close you were to being destroyed if not for my tzedakah that I did with you. What was the tzedakah that I did with you? He said that there is a moment that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is angry every day. There's a split second 
the Gemara says, how long is this Raga that Akrish Barfo gets angry with us? So one shot in the Gemara is Raga Kememre. As long as it takes to say the word Raga, that is how long Akrish Barfo gets angry every day. And it's possible for human beings, and the Gemara gives Simonim, how a human being could actually figure out and calculate that exact moment that Akrish Barfo gets angry. And when Akrish Barfo gets angry, if a person is able to be Makalel Klal Yisrael during that split second, then that would spell doom for Klal Yisrael. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I did you a favor because I held back my wrath during that period of time. It was very hard for me. Kaviyachol. I should have gotten mad and when he cursed you, I should have talked and said, there, he's right and I'm going to destroy them. But he says, I held back my zam, I held back my wrath just for your sake. That was a tzaka that I did with you. So because of this precision that Akrish Baruch has, Bilam was able, Bilam knew how to be mechave in the shah. He knew how to calculate that exact moment that Akrish Baruch was going to be angry, and he planned on cursing Klai Yisrael at that precise moment. But Akrish Baruch did not allow that. There's an interesting Taisus Agavurcha. Taisus says, what could he have done? What could Bilam have said to curse Klai Yisrael in that split second? It's Rega memory. It's a split second you're up to curse. Okay, if I ask you, curse somebody in a split second, what do you say? How do you do, how do, you do that in a split second? So, one shot in Taisus, the first shot is, he said, Kalim. All he would have to say is Kalim. One word that would fit into a Rega, destroy them. HaKadosh Baruch would obviously know who he's talking about, and HaKadosh Baruch could have reacted in a negative way. The other shot in Taisus is that once you get your foot in the door, once that window opens to curse Klal Yisrael, if you're able to start the Klal then, you could push your way through and just continue saying Klal as long as you have breath in your, in your neshama. That's the second shot in Taisus. It could be a long bracha. You just have to start the bracha at the right time. Uh, the the kola, rather, at the right time. And then you're good to go. Agav, I wanted to say once a pshat in this Taisus, a, a cute pshat. There's a pasuk that says, by Bilam, he says, Even if Balak gives me all, of, all the money in the world, I can't violate what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants. To do something small against Paul Yisrael or to do something big against Paul Yisrael. The Vilna Gain asks a very obvious question. What does that mean to do something small and do something? If I can't do something small against Paul Yisrael, I certainly can't do something big. If I can't pick up a, a, a five-pound barbell, I certainly can't pick up a hundred-pound barbell. And the Grog gives his own tarots. I wanted to just say my own. That it could be that what the, what the Pasuk is alluding to is not the magnitude of the bracha, it's the length of the bracha. After all, there's two pshatmentaisas. He can either, either be makal, he had two tricks up his sleeves going. Either he could say kalim, or he could say very long bracha as long as he starts at the beginning. 
So maybe what he meant was like Ucha Lamas Bashum Lakai Lasis Kitana Gedai is that I can't say Kalim, I can't say a big bracha, a big curse, a small curse, I can't say anything. And Akashbrahu doesn't want it. And Taka, that's what happened. Akashbrahu didn't want it. He, he was able to hold back his wrath, even though Bilam knew how to be Machabe in the Shah, he knew how to divine that moment in time. There's a Arachashokhan on this on this Taisis. That's a very Yisaitistic Arachashokhan. He says as follows. He says, let's say Zman Tfila ends at, I'm picking a, an, an arbitrary number, 9.59 in the morning. Zman Tfila ends. And let's say it's 9.58 and 30 seconds. And you didn't daven yet. If I start davening now, let's say I start Shemana Esrei at 9.58 and 30 seconds. I can't finish all Shemana Esrei in 30 seconds. Some people can. I, I can't finish Shemana Esrei in 30 seconds. But would, I, would it be considered in Shemayim as if I was Yaitse Tfil of Ismana or not? After all, I, on one hand, I didn't get the whole Shemana Esrei in before 9.59. On the other hand, I did start Shemana Esrei before 9.59. So he says, based on this Taisis, it's a beautiful raya he brings. Based on this Taisis, the second shot in Taisis, he says, that as long as I start the Klola in the right time, I could continue going. I could say all the Klolas that I want as long as I start the Klola in that window, in that Rega Kememre. So he says, if that's true for a Klola, it should be true for a bracha as well. It should be also true that if I start the Shemana Esri within the window of Zmantila, even though I go beyond, but it's considered as if I'm still good, I'm still able to have this chos of Tfila Bizman. It's a very important Arachashokhan to remember. What I wanted to take from this Arachashokhan is that you see how important it is to give a bracha in the right time. Just like Bilam knew how to curse in the right time, it's very important to bless, to provide bracha for other people in the right time. Because, after all, the point of our life is to try to emulate HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're learning after davening, everyone's invited. We learn a sefer called Taimur Devarah. Taimur Devarah was written by the Ramak, by Meshe Kardavarah, one of the great Mekubalim of Tzvas in the 1500s, and he writes an exceptional sefer that really discusses the, the ability to follow the midas of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he goes through one midah after another, taken from Micha. Mikhail Kamaycha, There are 13 midas of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as Micha describes, and he goes through one by one, and he describes how amazing HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Midas are and how we could emulate that Midah by following in that footstep of the Rabbani Shalom, in that way. And it's just, a, it's just a brilliant safer and there's so much to be taken from it. But that's the point of our life. The point of our life is to follow the Rabbani Shalom. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu does something in a certain way, we have to try as best we can to be godly and to do that as well. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu is so medactic with timing, to time something just so, 
we also have to be masters in timing things. Now, of course, time is very important. Like I said about being yekish, it's very important, although I feel really hypocritical saying it, it's very important to come on time for davening. Now, the reason why I feel hypocritical for the people on Torah Anytime World that, you know, they have no idea why the Mashkiach is saying that he's hypocritical is because I'm commuting every day now from Long Island because we're doing some work uh, in the house and it's an absolute disaster what's going on with my life, but that's another story. And um, we thought it would be over already by Sukkot and here we are, it's almost Hanukkah. And um, everyone, please just daven for me, okay? I'm begging, wherever you are, just daven, please. I really need it, I'm not joking. Um, but, so I have to wake the kids up Nebuch, at 6.15 in the morning and it's not easy to do. It's not easy to wake myself up, let alone these little kids, Nebuch. I have to get them dressed, get their lunch together, drive them in the car, fight traffic on the van with, get them to their various yeshiva schools and bachule, and, you know, and then get here on da- for davening as well. So, um, so lately, I mean, if you haven't noticed, um, I'll admit, if I'm if I'm here at all, I'm here like, you know, generally pretty not on time. But before the, the construction started, I was here every day, you can ask anyone. I was here for the daft at 7 o'clock in the morning. So that was way before davening started, so hopefully it all evens out. But it's very, very important, it's very important when, when everything is normal in your life, first of all, to realize that it's normal, because you don't know how I envy every one of you. If your life is normal, I want to move in with you. But, um, but when life is normal and not topsy-turvy, then it's important to be very misudderdic, which means to come to davening on time, come to seder on time, come to shear on time, you know, breakfast and lunch, everybody comes on time. That I'm not worried about. But, um, but everything, classes and, and, you know, if you have an appointment, if you have a date, if you have a, you know, come to things on time. It's important to be yekish in life. It really is. It's not good to be one of these people that are very haphazard and shlamazaldic. Like, you should be misunder. The Rabbani Shalom is very misunder, and we have to be misunder. Look at all the things in our life that, that tell us how we have to be misunder. We have a sitter. The first safer that many of us open in the morning, for some the last safer that everybody else, is, is a sitter. It's a sitter. What does a sitter mean? It's such a colloquial term that you don't even think about what it means. A sitter means it's misadr for you, the davening. Everything is misadr. You have adainaylam, you have maidani, you have brachas, you have... You have Shemad Esra, you have Aleinu, you have Shir Shalyan, Mincham, Mayrev, Svir Saimer, everything that you need is Mesudr for you. That's why it's called a Siddur. It's a lesson when you see a Siddur. Okay, fine, I'm, I'm going to be more Mesudrdik. What do we call the daily regiment in Yeshiva? First Seder, second Seder, night Seder, Starim. Pesach night, the most famous night of the year by all Jews, the Seder. By Achasna or Masada Kedushin. There's Seder. Everything in our life has a Seder. We have to define ourselves by a certain Seder. They say, I think, about Rabbi Rucham Lubavitz that he was so misudderdic that the Goyim in the city that he lived would sort of, uh, they would calibrate their watch 
when he walked by their house, they knew that it was 8 o'clock in the morning. Exactly. And they could set their watches. When Rabbi Yochum walked by, everything was perfectly misogynic. That's the way it should be. Our life should be much more organized. When we can be, we have to be. I wish I would be able to, you know, be, that that should be my biggest problem, is just getting from my house to Yeshiva on time. Unfortunately, it's crazy, but this is the way it is. This is the way it is. When your life is crazy, that's also, there's a savior to the craziness also. You have to try to be as misudder as you can in the craziness, as, as impossible as that may be. That's number one. And number two is, that you have to be a master of timing. Not just to be on time for things, but you also have to master pinpointing things and doing them in the time that is the most acceptable, the most shasakaisher. I just saw a Misa this week that I think really uh, illustrates this very well. There was a Yidin in Paris. His name is Rav Monk, Rav Eli Monk. He wrote very famous uh, svarim on, on tefillah, and uh, he wrote Kol HaTaira on, on, on Chumash, the Call of the Taira Arts Girl published it in, uh, you know, in five volumes, uh, a masterpiece of a work. The World of Prayer, maybe some of you know, also written by him, is a Rav in Paris. And I think before the war he was already a rub in Paris, and he, after the war he continued being the rub in Paris. He felt a very strong responsibility, even though the Yiddish Kayet wasn't flourishing there as it was elsewhere in the world after the war, but he felt that he should be there. But when it came time to, for his kids, Shidduchim, and there weren't really that many, if any, prospects in Paris for them, so he started sending his children to America to find Shidduchim. Just as an interesting uh, footnote, the first and founding Rosh Hashiva based Medish Talmud was uh, Abba Branchbigo, who should live and be well. He needs a refuah shleima. Um, and he was married to, uh, to one of Rabbi Monk's daughters. Rabbi Monk had another child, a son, and the son was sent by Rabbi Mon to study in Chaim Berlin Yeshiva in Flatbush, in, in Brooklyn, New York. And he was going through a very difficult time with the Shidduch process. It wasn't going, and it was very depressing. And then finally, he found a girl, and they got engaged. And it was a huge simcha, and Yeshiva was a huge simcha for him and for his friends, and of course for his family. And his father said, I'm coming on the next plane, I want to come and, you know, we'll make a bar, we'll him, and uh, I want to meet the Kawa. And everyone was so excited that a monk was going to come to New York from Paris. And when he came off the plane, he saw his son greet him at the airport, and his son looked very upset and depressed, although he was trying to fight back tears and, and trying to be very strong. A monk knew his son and he says, what's wrong? And he said, she broke off the shidduch. And it was very hard for him. It was very hard for him to deal with, but his father was here, and his father hugged him, and they went home. I think they stayed by the Braunschweigels that week, and, and his father gave him a lot of chizuk, and his father learned with him, and they sang together, and they walked together, and they had a wonderful reconnection and a week later, it was time for 
Rav Monk to go back to Paris and Rav Huttner meets the boy in yeshiva that day and he says, how's everything going? He knew well about the entire, you know, the ups and downs of this, uh, this boy's life right now. He says, I'm taking my father to the airport to, to bring him back. So Rav says to him, do me a favor, I want to speak to you about something. As soon as your father gets on the plane and you say goodbye to him, go to a payphone and make a collect call to me. In those days, you can either put quarters in the, meter, in the, in the phone, the dimes or quarters, whatever it was at the time, or you can call collect, which means you call an operator, you tell them, you know, please call this number, and that person, if they accept the call, then it's on their feshman, it's on their dime, so to speak, uh, literally, to, uh, to pay for the call. He says, call me as soon as your father leaves, as soon as you say goodbye. Call me, I want to ask you a question. I want to speak to you about something. So, he sees his father off, it was like the most difficult moment, because, you know, everything that he... You know, he needed was in his father, and his father was now going back home, and he was like, he was so depressed. And he said, and as soon as his father left, and they hugged and they kissed, they said their goodbyes, and his father goes on off to the plane. He sits down and starts getting really, really sad in one of the lounge chairs in the airport. And then a few moments later, he remembers that Raputner, the Rashiva, asked if he could call him. I, I don't want to speak to him now. What is he? What is he he's going to ask me to do something. I'm not in the mood. But Rapunzel call asked me to call. So I'll call. So he, he made the collect call. Rapunzel picks up the call. Of course, he accepts the call, and he says, "Did the Rashiva want me to do something?" He said, "I should call." He says, "He says I, I know that now is a very difficult time for you. Your father was everything to you. He was here for you when you needed him." He says. Tell me a little bit about what's going on now in your life. And as soon as this boy, this young man heard this, the dam broke and all of the tears and all of the anguish and all of the tsar, all the years of dating and all of the, 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 the torment that he had to go through with a broken engagement and with his father here and the embarrassment, it all just came rushing out and flooding and for half an hour, he was crying to Rebutner on the phone about all of his sorrows and about everything that he needed to get off of his chest. And that was able to allow him to move on in his life. See, Rebutner understood when he told him, when your father leaves, call me, I want to ask you something, that he had to time it just so. You have to know how to time something just so if you want to be godly. You have to know when the right time is to do the right thing. And when to get maximum impact. I'll tell you an amazing story. One of my favorite stories is one that Pesach Krohn tells about his brother. He has a brother who lives in Lakewood. His name is Kalman Krohn. He's a big tzaddik and he and he sends um, he arranges he's a big he, he collects a lot of money he sends it to Aniyah Aniyah it's Israel and one time he arranged a few thousand dollars he collected and he needed to get that cash to Israel for an important cause for, for a person that needed it very badly for a certain reason and 
So Rav Kamalkon knew that there was a certain individual that lived near him that wanted to, uh, that was going to Eretz Yisrael. So he says, could I, could I ask you a favor? If you could please deliver this money when you take it, take it to Eretz Yisrael and deliver it to a certain address, they need it very badly. He says, okay, sure, no problem, my pleasure. So a few days went by after the flight left and Rav Kamalkon didn't hear from this individual and he thought, he didn't hear from this individual. He didn't hear from the person that was supposed to receive the money, which is strange. You know, if you get $10,000 cash, you should normally pick up a phone and call and say thank you for the money. But he didn't hear from anybody. So he calls the person that was supposed to be the shliach to take it to Eretz Yisrael. And he says, Where's the, did you, were you able to get the money to this person? He says, honestly, he says, I, I forgot. And I can't find the money. I don't know what I did with it. He says, I'm looking all over. I looked in the suitcases. He says, give me another day. Maybe it's in a... Maybe I, I left it in some pocket or something. Let me... The next day, he calls back again. He says, I looked all over for it. I don't know where it is. And the next day, he calls back again. Did you find it by any chance? No, I'm sorry. I can't... I don't know where it is. And, you know, obviously, this is not, not a simple matter. You raise $10,000 for tzedakah from going door to door or whatever and you know, or, or getting Gavirim to trust you with money, and then you just like it just vanishes like that. It's very, very upsetting to say the least. And now this person was coming back to America. And now, what do you do if you're a common crone? I think what most of us would do is we would start arranging for a dintaira, you know, getting uh, getting certain dayanim involved, getting rabbanim involved, you know at least giving him the dirtiest look that you possibly can when you see him first. That's, I think, what most... That's definitely probably what I would do. You know, just like, how could you do this to me? Like, what do you... How? I'll tell you what he did, though. He did a different approach. When the person came back from his trip and he made it to the front door of his house in America, a common crone was there to greet him. And a common crone was holding a cake and on the cake were the words, Hinani Naisei Machas Brisi Shalom. I'm giving you my covenant of peace. It's the most amazing thing in the world. How what he did was so brilliant. He could have made it the worst, ugliest moment, but he made it the most beautiful. He turned the whole thing around. Instead of making machlekes and getting all your people together and starting, you know, I want to make peace with you. I don't want machlekes with you. I want, to, I want to just do the right thing. Let's just get along. Let's not let this get between us. That's a perfectly timed act. Perfectly timed. Right when it could be the worst. That's the time to do things right. That's what the Rabbi Shalom does with us every single day. He makes things right one second at a time. Everything that we're doing, the fact that we're here right now, is a gift from the Rabbi Shalom. How much He does for us. Who knows, maybe if we would have been elsewhere this morning, maybe if we had been walking or, or traveling or in a dorm, something would have happened that would be really bad. We don't know. We have no idea the recip- the, how we receive so much blessing from the Rabbi Nishvayim. 
every moment, every second is Masadir, what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're doing it. But we have to be really good with timing. We have to time things just right. If we see somebody that's not doing so well, somebody is sad, you have to know how to go over to that person and how to say, is everything okay? What can I do to help you? Let's go out together. Try to be Mechaia Mason. Try to time things right so that everything is going to be good. To make certain people feel good in the right time is godly. To make anyone feel good in the right time. Somebody is, uh, if you know it's somebody's birthday, so go over to that person, say happy birthday, maybe even want to buy them something, buy them a donut or something. You don't know what that makes a person feel like. Otherwise, it's just a whole, you know, no one cared to, to, that is my birthday today. No one thought to say happy birthday to me. On Mother's Day, call your mother and wish her happy Mother's Day. Ah, it's not from. Don't be so, you know, like we're, we do everything else, all of a sudden, you know, basketball is fine and baseball is fine. Movies are fine. Gaishu is fine. Mother's Day, oh, no, 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 no. All of a sudden we become Satmar Hasidim on Mother's Day. Like, you know, just take it easy. Like, there are times, if your mother's expecting a phone call, pick up the phone and call her. Be happy they have a mother. You have to be very good at timing. If you know somebody's sick in the dorm, so bring back some food for the person. What does the person have to do to get a little food? person lives far away from home, wants to have a, a normal meal once in a while, invite him for Shabbos. Figure out ways to time things right, to know when is the right thing to do something. You see somebody is drowning with schoolwork. People are drowning with schoolwork. It's midterm season and people are, you know, not everybody has such a, a ability to take notes and to study and it's hard for a lot of people and you're very good at it or maybe you, you're already in base medish you graduated college. so if you see somebody that or you hear about somebody that's not doing well is it the worst thing in the world to say hey I, I'm pretty good at trig or I'm pretty good at uh, you know at accounting can, can you know do you want me to teach you it a little bit so you do well or how about a guy that's in sheer and you see he's not getting sheer how about going over and asking him to make a seder after night seder or, or by lunch or something just to help him out? That's an act that's godly because you're taking a situation, you're timing it just right. You're not allowing him to fall through the cracks. You're a master of time. You see when there's a situation that calls for intervention and you're there to solve that problem. And when we do that for other people, I could have us so much. This is what it takes to be, a, to be somebody that's godly. Yaakov Avinu, Yitzchak, these are people that are, that are beyond our wildest imagination of what holiness is. But we could be holy also. We come from them. And we have the ability to to do the right thing when the right thing calls for it.
I know personally there were so many times in yeshiva that there were boys that were not doing well. They were not doing well socially or different things were going wrong. And I know boys came over to me and said, we want to help that particular boy. We see that he's having a lot of problems. And these boys on their own, they brilliantly just like, they, they changed the, the entire trajectory of this person's life. I'm just thinking of one case out of many. But they took him bowling all of a sudden, and they, you know, and they took him for pizza, and then they, they studied with him. They made him into a mensch. They made him into a human being again. Because they saw a situation, and they said, we have to time it just so. Now's the time to act, to be able to intervene so that he's okay again. You don't have to join Hatzalah to help save people's lives. You don't have to join Chaveirim. You don't have to join any of the big organizations. They're well-stocked and well-manned, Baruch Hashem. But it's the communal things, like these things that I'm talking about today, that every yeshiva needs and every yeshiva is built upon. If we have it, then we are the greatest yeshiva in the world. And if we don't have it, we're the worst. We have to... And, I, I, you know, we have to, like, stop thinking about ourselves all the time and open up our eyes and look at the other people in the room and try to see if there's a problem. And when there's a problem, try to do whatever you can to help that problem. Time it right. Make sure not to drop the ball. The Rebbe never drops the ball. The Rebbe never drops... You don't see electrons go spinning out of the orbit of the, of the nucleus. You just... Of the nu- you don't. It's, they're always spinning. The Rebbe somehow manages to keep everything in order. All the balls are... He's juggling everything perfectly. And we have to learn how to juggle things in life person. Not, not for us. We always take care of our own things pretty well. But we have to also help with other people and see what we could do, how we could help how we could be there just in time for other people when they need it the most. To be a friend, to be a neighbor, to be a colleague, to be a chavrusa, to be a, to be a, a role model, whatever it is. Just to be there for other people, do chesed in the right time. Mitzvah Hashem, we should be zeichet to be stronger as a, as a, as a tzibor. Yechidim, everyone in this room, I'm looking around, everyone in this room is perfect. Thomas perfect. I was looking at the grades of uh, you know this man, or the you know at this point they give you a whole you know I have to give my schmooze grade in whatever, and and then they give me a whole list and I you know I see who's doing well and who's not doing well. Everyone that comes to the schmooze, by the way, I think is B plus and up. Not because you know I give them such a high grade, but because you know what it means that if you're coming to the schmooze, that means that you're an upstanding citizen. You're a mensch. You care about the yeshiva. You care about me, and you know, and you care about yourself. And 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 it spills over to everything. If you're organized like that, then you're organized with studying. You're organized with with everything. That's why everybody here does so well. The guys that are in the dorm, they're D's for dorm, and for other things, other things that start with D's. But 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 there there's something that needs to be. There's something that needs to be um, understood about what we're doing here in yeshiva. The yeshiva, and I've said this many times before, the yeshiva is not a... Some people think that Lander College for Men is a gas station. 
What do I mean a gas station? Well, I need a college degree. I also need a place to, I guess, learn because it's not socially acceptable for me not to be learned. My rabbi in Israel wouldn't have that. So, or my parents wouldn't have or whatever. So I'm going to go to Lambda for a couple of years. I'm going to use it to fill up, to get my degrees. And then I'm going to be off for the races. I don't have to be married to the yeshiva. I don't have to be, have any zika to the yeshiva. I don't, I don't need to, I don't know anything. The yeshiva, yeshiva doesn't know. You know it's just like we have a very informal relationship, me and, me and Beis Nader Shotalman. It's like, I'm using it. It's using me. I pay them. We have a good deal together. You could have that attitude, but I'll tell you, the guys that have that attitude, they're not matzliach. They're not matzliach when they're in yeshiva, and they're not matzliach when they leave yeshiva. Because they fail to recognize the importance of getting from the yeshiva what yeshiva wants to give them. It's not a gas station here. This is not a gas station. This is a place that you're able to immerse yourself in a chevra with rabbeim, tikkun amidas, liman atayra, davening, hasmada, vadin, shmuzin, shabbos, yantif. It's an all-inclusive experience. This is like it's like a mikvah that a person can immerse himself in and be matar himself. That's what a yeshiva is. And to the degree by which we understand that and, and, and join in this experience of, of being matar ourselves, that's the degree by which we leave yeshiva at the end of this experience and we're b'nei taira, we're masmidim, we have midas, we have musr, we have adrocha, we have a rebbe, we have a mashkeach, we have, we have a, a path in life, we have people to be misyayitz with. These are the people that are matzliach, not because they come to the shmuz, but because they understood that they had to come to the shmuz. It's not because of the words of the shmuz necessarily that, that makes a difference. It's the fact that you understood the importance of coming. And if you don't, and you think you're escaping the system... By not coming here, not coming to share quality, not coming to, you know, who are you fooling? Maturity means that I want to do this because I need to do this. Not because I have to, because I want to, and I know that this is good for me. Make starim. Be misadr your life. Be misadr the starim. Be misadr the, 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 the daily regiment of your life, but be misadr others' regiments as well. Make sure that other people are in a good place as well. Mitzvah Hashem, when we do that, then Yeshiva will continue to flourish, continue to grow. La'elo, la'elo. And we'll together be misached as a kehila kedaisha, as a beautiful community of Bnei Taira coming together to serve the Rabbi Nishlevim. Have a wonderful Shabbos.